And I just want to express my thanks. I um, I came Monday and um, worked on taking down um, a lot of the Christmas decorations, preparing the church for the new year. And the weather ran me off before I could finish. And uh, someone came and finished the rest. So whoever did that, <laughs> the new year cleanup fairy <laughs> whoever it was thanks but well no problem I, I had to be up here for a doctor's appointment at nine o'clock I must have been insane for doing that but anyway so I just came on and worked but uh, the weather was rather threatening but any other announcements All right, for opening words, um, this is an excerpt from a uh, sermon presented to a UU congregation in Phoenix, uh, and it was uh, entitled Welcoming the New Year by Reverend Susan Frederick Gray. The new year is a time most well known for making resolutions, for leaving behind the outworn and false, the bad habits and regrets of the past year in order to create of this yet unformed year something hopeful and new. The date itself is really not important. Each new day presents a new beginning, a time of possibility, but Having January come around on our calendar each year gives us a way to mark the time to reflect on the past and to contemplate our hopes for the future. The month of January is named for the Roman god Janus, who is described as having two faces, one to look back and see the past and one to peer into the future. Every year as the old year dies away and a new one begins, we have the opportunity to be mindful of the threshold and to take time to reflect on the past year, to remember what it helped for us, good and bad. As we say goodbye to the old year, we can't help but look towards the future with our hopes for what it might bring and what we might experience in the new year. Marking the new year each year calls us to be mindful of our lives and how we are living. Let us take this opportunity today not to let the new year slip away without remembering. Let this new year begin by taking this moment to plant seeds of hope for the future. All right, do we have someone to light the chalice? Oh, sorry, Harry, I wasn't sure what that meant. <laughs> okay. Okay, I'm moving. <laughs> this will take me a minute to prepare. Take me more than a minute to prepare. 
Well, it's always fun. <clears throat> I, uh, I wanted to do something for the children. Um, here we go. So, I'm so glad there's some kids here today. I would have been heartbroken if I couldn't do this. I might have done it anyway. However, this is for the kids. So kids, first we get some adult stuff that will bore you. That's how to get adults do that. So this is from the Bible. <clears throat> when I was a child, King James Version, when I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child, I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. Um, that is what the Bible says. Uh, I want to tell you that you don't have to put away all childish things. Uh, it, it, I don't know, it might be good to do it, but I didn't do it. Um, you can remain partly a child, even as an adult, and have fun doing childish things. So, um, first of all, I want to tell you this is fantasy, this is fiction, this is like a story. Most stories aren't true. You know, when you read nursery rhymes, they're not, they didn't happen just that way, but they're interesting stories. So I'm going to make up a fantasy, and you're not supposed to think it's real. These are my friends. This is Fred, P-H-R-E-D, Fred. He told me his name. Uh, this is Maxine. Maxine is a, actually I think she's an ostrich, but I bought her as an emu. And so for me she's an emu and she doesn't mind. And I often forget her name so I've written her name on the bottom of her foot, Maxine, in case I forget her name. And this is a manatee, this is Bubbles. And Bubbles actually is a mammal like us and, and you know, has babies and doesn't have eggs and lives underwater. Has to come up and breathe every now and then. So this is a manatee. So you've got Fred, Bubbles, and Maxine. And uh, I'm going to pretend they say things. Now, another thing I want to tell you guys is that in general, when you stand up in front of people, they tell you you should prepare ahead of time and know exactly what you're going to say. Sometimes it's fun to get up and just let it happen a little bit, you know. So, here we got Fred and Bubbles and Maxine. And Maxine starts off. They were having a conversation one day. And Maxine says, how do you know what's good and bad? And Bubbles said, you asked someone. And Maxine said, well, you could ask me. Said, no, no, ask an adult. And Fred said, I'm an adult. And Maxine said, Fred, you're not an adult. You're a platypus. He said, I'm an adult platypus. How old are you, Fred? He said, I'm 20. He said, well, that's not really an adult. Yes, it is. And besides, I'm an old soul. At which point Bubbles said, a what? I'm an old soul. People say I'm an old soul. What does that mean, Fred? He says, well, that means that I seem to know things that I shouldn't know. Things from long ago. As if I'd lived before or something. Did you live before? I don't know. Oh. But anyway, I'm an old soul, so I know things. So, all right, Fred, what's good and bad? How do you tell? Well, you could ask someone, but they might lie to you. 
that your parents shouldn't lie to you, well, they probably won't lie to you. But they could still be wrong. Well, if they're not lying, how could they be wrong? Well, what they think is true may not be true. Well, how am I supposed to know? You're just going to have to guess. You're going to have to watch and figure it out. However, they're going to try and tell you what they think is true. Well, that, that's, that's good to know. Thanks, Fred. Don't mention it. So, I think this is boring. What's the problem, Bubbles? I don't want to hear about good and bad. I want to play. Me too. I'm an old soul. Don't old souls play? Yeah. I'd like to play. But I want to tell you guys something first. When I was a child, oh, knock it off, Fred. But, but it's from the Bible. Oh, we've already heard it. All right, let's go play. Okay, kids, that, that's the story for the day. <laughs> I'm back off the podium to introduce me, I think. Or so, whatever. Oh, there's all sorts of stuff, isn't there? Yeah. Now I think we're ready for the chalice line. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> and I think it's time for music. Harry, you have music? Already. You can have the podium back if you... <laughs>
get this in somewhere today so now's the time this is a prayer for the dying from uh, Cat's Cradle by Kirk Vonnegut uh, in Cat's Cradle they invent a religion, Bokanism and the people on the island all choose to believe it they know it's not, they know it's made up but they believe it or they act and, they, and when they die this is, the, this, is what, this is the service at death the, uh, the priest uh, comes in and he, rep- he says the phrase and the dying person repeats it. I'll just read it, but you can imagine it would say, uh, God made mud. God made mud. So the priest is saying to the dying person, God made mud. God got lonesome. So God said to some of the mud, sit up. See all I've made, said God. The hills, the sea, the sky, the stars. And I was some of the mud that got to sit up and look around. Lucky me, lucky mud. I, mud, sat up and saw what a nice job God had done. Nice going, God. Nobody but you could have done it, God. I certainly couldn't have. I feel very unimportant compared to you. The only way I can feel the least bit important is to think of all the mud that didn't even get to sit up and look around. I got so much, and most mud got so little. Thank you for the honor. Now mud lies down again and goes to sleep. What memories for mud to have. What interesting other kinds of sitting up mud I met. 
I loved everything I saw. Good night. Well, it's time for our offertory, and without the generosity, your generosity, this church would cease to exist. time for joys and concerns and uh, our life takes us through many journeys so go ahead <laughs> I have two today is an anniversary of my family it's my own sister's uh, birthday she was born January Yes, I brought 
Abby, Eli, David, Jordan, Roscoe, and we were the fumbling ones, and there were other ones that fumbled, but there were ones that knew, and it's just a lot of fun and something to do. So I highly recommend y'all getting out and trying, and we don't know how to dance. And there are a lot of people in there that don't, especially the lessons that don't know how to dance, but people are so gracious and helping, and Harry can even learn. <laughs> Well, I have many concerns, but today I'm going to choose to focus on the joy. Um, water, even though it could have been a problem this week, but, you know, I think about the people in West Virginia, and I am grateful for my water. Um, sunshine, warmth. Um, and last night I heard wonderful, wonderful music at Barter, Iris to Men. It was just such a joy. And um, so... I'm going to focus on the joy today. Uh, Martin Luther King Day is Virginia's lobby day for the state capitol. So next, a Monday from uh, tomorrow, Don will be in the state capitol uh, lobbying with congressmen for the legalization of marijuana. So please keep coming in your thoughts. This is something he's worked very hard for the past uh, few months, and he's very excited. And I'm excited and nervous for him. Let's take a few moments to hold these thoughts in our minds. Well, time for Harry again. 
<laughs> He's a man of many talents, our Renaissance man this morning, Mr. Harry Bia. Hey, Harry, what does Fred think about marijuana? <laughs> what does Fred think about marijuana? Well, let's see. <laughs> August knows that I talk to Fred. And, and, and answers appear in my mind. I am not so foolish as to think that they're coming out of this little stuffed animal, but they're coming from somewhere. Well, first of all, he says it's not my problem. <laughs> He says it'll all work out fine. That's, that's, that's the most I can get out of him, you know. He, he doesn't have a lot of... Sometimes he says, I'm not about to deal with that one, you know. But he, he, did, he did say it's going to work out. Um, okay. Um, it is, it is my, my goal today to, if nothing else, amuse you a little bit. I think I do that just standing here, so that's no problem. <clears throat> I'd like to start at the very beginning of matter, space, and time. How the Big Bang led to our little church and tell it all in rhyme. But there's a lot that I don't know and what I do would take too long. So I leave it to you to figure out with or without rhyme. In any case, this is my chance to tell you what I think is so about our reality and what I think I know. I thought about it for a while, and this message I sh shall give. Pay attention to your world and choose how you live. That's my message for the day, really. Um, so... Um, my goal today is to communicate, that is to, do, to give you some understanding and, and memory of some of the things I think most important about the reality I live in and what seems to work for me. I hope what I say today will allow you to know me better and thus make us closer. So I'm going to communicate. I want to, my first story is about communication. Uh, at one point I was out of work and uh, went to a workshop on how to get a job with about 30 or 40 other people. We all paid several hundred dollars. And the guy spent the first hour on the word communicate. And he had a big blackboard and he said, how would you define communicate? Well, these were all professional people mostly and we all participated. So each of us gave definitions and he would write them on the board. And he'd say things like, don't you think that's the same as this one? He put a check mark by it. You know, and this went on for 30, 40 minutes. And finally, he said, anything else? No. He said, I would like to give you my definition of communication. He said, it's no better than all of these. These are, there's some wonderful insights here, he said. But this is just the one I find useful for me. He said, communication is taking responsibility that the message was received and understood, whether you're sending it or getting it. He says, so just saying it is not communicating. I told him, you didn't necessarily communicate. Did you take responsibility that he understood what you were trying to tell him? Same thing as, they talked to me. Did you make any effort to understand what they were trying to get to tell you? No. So that's communication. So my job today is to communicate. It's my intent to uh, have you understand and receive what I'm saying. Whether you agree with it or not is irrelevant. Uh, you can judge it on your own. 
Um, so I have a bunch of things. Oh, I wanted to mention to you that, that as I was putting this together, uh, it occurred to me that if one were to take a hundred novels, good novels, and rip out a page of each one and make up a book and publish it, and you turn from one story to the next, you know, it would be a pretty confusing thing. Uh, it might even be interesting, but I doubt it. Well, this talk's going to be a little bit like that. <laughs> so that's the way it goes. Um, in many situations, the best way to suggest something I want someone to consider is to model the behavior. Be it rather than talk about it. And I'm going to stand up here and talk about it. However, hopefully, uh, I'm modeling what I'm saying in my life. Um, my job is to communicate some perspectives. I see it as a little bit like uh, part of being a parent. Um, and uh, I want the children, so to speak, to notice who I am, what my, my perspectives have made me, and um, notice what it gives me, good or bad, and then decide for yourself which, if anything, you want to take from me to try out. When the smoke clears, the quality, joy, and satisfaction of your life, this is for the kids, is your responsibility. Um, so I've tried to tell my kids that, you know. I think this is good. However, <laughs> you can see where it got me, so think about it. Um, it would be nice, when I come out, Phyllis reminded me, when I come out of some of the speeches I hear, I say, well, I enjoyed a lot of it, but there was no coherence, there was no theme, there was no, nothing tied it together. Um, well, guess what? <laughs> uh, one of the things I want to mention to you, I have a friend, uh, Matt Scanlon, who tells me that he got this theory, life is a stream of facts that are thrown at you. It's just like a fire hydrant throwing facts at you. They are not necessarily connected very well. Your job, you're the author. You have to make a story up with those facts. And the deal is to make a good story. Make it interesting. Make it make sense. Tie them together. Put it into a framework. What you really got is just a bunch of random things happening, but your mind is trying to make it into a good... To the extent you do that well, you have a good life, or you feel satisfied in life. But the thing that, that, that this brings out is, you don't really have a lot of control of what those things are coming into your story. <laughs> you just have to fit them in. So that's another one. Uh, I had put the topic down, speaking from the heart. This is the first thing that occurred to me when Weva asked, what would you like to talk about? And I thought, well, that's one thing I would like to talk about. Um, and here is a very good example of where talking about it is not doing it. Uh, one of my favorite quotes is, uh, talking about music is like dancing about architecture. I like that. Um, well, talking about speaking from the heart is like dancing about architecture, too. But uh, I was a Quaker, I am a Quaker, really, um, for 23 years. Uh, and around the same time, I went to something called Erhard Seminar Training, EST. Uh, there are two groups of people on this planet, those who think it was the best thing that ever happened, and those who considered utter wasted money and brainwashing. Um, I'm in the ones that think it's one of the best things that ever happens. The others refer to us as estholes. <coughs> um, I, I married an estole. <laughs> um, 
Anyway, in, in the EST process, uh, which is two weekends of, of uh, brainwashing, if you wish, although I, I will add that there were Catholic priests and nuns in my group, and they, didn't, they did as well as I did an atheist, uh, so it wasn't really messing too much with our underlying value system. Um, one of the things we picked up, after, the, 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 the leader would have people stand up and speak. There were 300 of us there. And then he would sometimes ask for comments from the crowd. I remember one guy in particular was wrestling with a problem, and every few days the teacher would say, um, so where you got, what you got, where are you? And he'd stand up and he'd say, has he got it yet? And this was New York. And you'd hear things like, no fucking way. No. <laughs> yeah. He's still lost, you know, screw it, sit down. You know. But the last day, the guy stood up and there was a, a round of applause, you know. He got it. He, he, he managed to break through all the crap in his system to, to find out what was so uh, for him. Or at least that's what we thought. Um, and he was speaking from the heart. And the other place where I ran, around the same time, this is 1981, I ran to this, I became a Quaker. I had been a Unitarian uh, for about 10 years. And when my wife left me for another one of my Unitarian friends, I didn't feel as comfortable there as I used to. <laughs> Um, and uh, so uh, I didn't go to the wedding uh, they had a lovely Unitarian wedding um, and a, a year or so later I managed to bump into the Quakers through some singing connections and, and remained there and I went to the first silent meeting and, and uh, I was home it wasn't, I didn't become a Quaker I realized that's what I was you know. and uh, in a Quaker meeting we were a silent meeting so uh, you sit there in silence, and if someone feels moved to speak, they stand up and speak. They used to say, when God tells you to speak, you stand up. But we don't, most of us were not, uh, most of us were agnostics in that meeting. Um, and uh, so uh, at one point, I, was, I, was, I became an elder, uh, and I was put in charge of the uh, orientation of new people. People come to the meeting for the first time. And after a few weeks, they'd say, is there any way I can learn more about this? Well, yeah, we'll have a, a, what we call the worship sharing service. Um, and all the new people can come, and we'll have some elders there. People have been here a while, and, uh, and we'll talk to you. So the most common question was, when do I stand up and speak? Well, how do I know when it's appropriate to stand up and speak? And I had my answer to that. I said, when you can't not. When you just can't not sit there anymore. And I didn't speak for at least a year, maybe two. Well, you guys know me. <laughs> you can imagine me not speaking for two years. I mean, but after a while, and you hear what people say, and you, you kind of get the idea of what's appropriate, what isn't appropriate, and stuff. And anyway, after a while, I developed this, this concept in my mind, what I call speaking from the heart. Almost every time someone stood up in the Scarsdale, New York, Quaker meeting, they spoke from the heart. And you could hear it. And if someone got up and didn't, wow, could you hear that? You know, and the most common place where they weren't speaking was, was when somebody got up to give a political rant about some particular politician or act that they thought was wrong. You know. But if somebody got in there in the morning and said, I noticed the birds this morning. You know, it was different than the guy on the subway beside you saying, I noticed the birds. It had some depth. And then I began to notice it in the rest of life. That's, and, and I noticed that most of the time it wasn't terribly appropriate. You know, when I'm trying to work out the budget with my boss or something, I'm not sure I'm supposed to be speaking from the heart. But uh, 
but other times it was. And, and I, I began to be able to differentiate. Now, I'm not quite as good at it now as I was then, but I still can hear it. Uh, and every now and then I'll be talking to someone and it'll just hit me like a spike. They're talking, they're talking that way. I'm speaking to someone who's, who's uh, opening up. So that's speaking from the heart. And uh, you all have experienced it. Uh, you may not have had a name for it. I didn't for a long time. Uh, and that's just my name for it. So that, that's one thing I wanted to uh, bring up. That's, I put that in the topic. And uh, so I put it up at the top here. Um, next thing is, uh, and I bring this up, when Bob Hill talks, I often find an opportunity to say this. So now I get to say it. And I, and I, I try not to talk too much. One of my best friends recently said, you're not doing too well. <laughs> we both had a good laugh over that. <laughs> but now I can say this without feeling I'm, I should be brief or as brief. Oh, uh, I, I didn't want to watch the time. <laughs> the last time I spoke here, one time I spoke here, they asked me to speak. I, I, I asked if I could speak about Quakers. And when I finished around 12.15, yeah. people were a little annoyed. <laughs> Don't you know we're supposed to stop? You know, it's only, I said, no one told me. You've been here for years, Harry. You should know. I never noticed, you know. I, I don't notice those things. You know? So today, I, 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 am, I am noticing, um, and we'll try and do better. Um, but this is one of the things I bring up frequently. I don't believe in believing. <laughs> um, and, and I have a, now, the word belief, of course, has many definitions, and, and, and you do what you want with it, you know. But the one I'm using is, there is a way of believing, and, and the born-again Christians have this way of believing, I think, for the most part. There is a way of holding something that I call belief that in such a way that when it's threatened, you feel personally threatened. You feel that you've been attacked, and you will defend that belief by perhaps attacking back. Uh, that kind of belief is what I don't believe in. I think it's a bad way to have things. So I try not to believe in anything. I'm not completely successful at that, but that's what I try to do. I try not to believe in anything. Um, so, but what about, what about if I drop a book? Do I believe it's going to fall? Well, I assume it's going to fall. I admit this assumption has a very, very high probability rate. This is scientists. This is the way science thinks. They can't prove anything in the empirical world. All they can say is everything we've ever seen shows this to be likely, extremely likely, high probability. And then you move back down the line of, well, this is our best guess at the moment. It, it explains things, but we, we were hoping for a better description. But we're going to use this as a working assumption for now. So I consider all beliefs as assumptions, some with very high probabilities and some with lower. And uh, but I don't think it's useful to believe things in the sense that I described believing them. I think it's, it's, it's anti, uh, you know, it's dysfunctional. Because when evidence comes in that does not confirm your belief, you're going to fight it, resist it. It threatens you. It threatens who you are. And, and I think you should be open to new evidence and information. It shouldn't threaten who you are. It should allow you to change. So I don't believe in believing. Now, I want to take that one step further. Oh, by the way, on the back of your program, there are a bunch of web links. <laughs> um, one is to my radio show, Welcome to the Harry's World. Um, you can go there and listen to any radio show I've made, um, including the one I recorded yesterday and put up on the web. Um, more, more, there's some other things on there. 
I have a blog. I've had it since 2005. Every year or two, I feel like putting something in my blog. <laughs> it's not exactly a very active blog. Um, there are responses. People have responded. Over since 2005, I bet I've gotten eight, maybe ten <laughs> responses, you know. <laughs> Mostly from my son. Um, but there it is. Um, and uh, also, I have a fantasy computer program I'm going to write someday. Uh, maybe, probably never, but I still have fan and, and the last the last web link is to my description of it. I kept trying to describe this to people and kept getting into arguments. So finally, I was in the hospital three or four days. I wrote out a short story about a little boy using this program I hope to create. And that's that's what this is. It's a short story about a little boy using the program I hope to create. Oh, the top thing on the list is the most important one. Go on the web, go into YouTube, and look up Monkey Business Illusion. Now, or you could type in that long URL down there. If you can type it exactly right, it'll come up. But Monkey Business Illusion. And watch the video. It's going to ask you to count the number of times a basketball is passed between people. My uh, granddaughter, Phyllis's granddaughter, Josie, is uh, eight. Josie got it right. First time. I didn't. Uh, you may or may not, but try. Anyway, I think you will find, if you haven't seen it, many of you have probably already seen it. It's a famous thing, but it's really worth doing. Go on YouTube, look up Monkey Business Illusion, and, and run the little video. It takes about three or four minutes, and uh, I think you'll, you'll find something interesting there. Um, so that, that's on the back of the program. Um, since I make the programs, I can do things like that. Um, and since you now know that, if you're speaking and you want me to do it, tell me and I'll put whatever you want in the back of the program. Um, so, uh, next thing is about assumptions. A few years ago, it occurred to me that a lot of times I could live my life as if something were true that I don't think is true, and usefully so. You can, you can use working assumptions that, that guide you that don't necessarily have anything behind, you don't believe them. Let me give you an example. I don't happen to believe that there is a God, father-like, caring, sentient being who's paying attention to me and listening to me and responding to my wishes. I don't happen to believe that. However, I find it useful to assume that. I get in some difficult situation and I say to myself, if there were a God, an omniscient, well-meaning God, what would he, or she, or it, tell me to do? Well, that's a different perspective than what do I think is best for me at this moment? What if there were someone who knew everything? What would they say? And so that's a useful assumption, to live my life as if there were someone who could give me guidance and then ask for that guidance. Fred has been very helpful a number of times. Um, in fact, I asked Fred about Phyllis. I said, Fred, should I marry this woman? Should I continue? Fred said, you're on your own on this one, Harry. Um, 
said the same thing to Phyllis. <laughs> um, and another example of, of choosing to believe there, it, um, uh, one of my common stories of being a Quaker was uh, we had a Quaker wedding. Well, Quakers don't have, our Quaker church, there are two branches of Quaker. We don't have a minister or anything like that. We're all ministers. So I was the greeter that day. The greeter's job is to stand at the door and greet people coming in and also to kind of start the meeting and arrange either to end the meeting or have someone else end the meeting. That's the greeter's job. So uh, I would stand at the door. So I was the greeter for the wedding. Well, I was essentially the main administrator in charge of that event. Now, there were other people who had jobs to do. We had a scroll to sign, and we had to read certain things for the state and all that. But still, I felt very responsible. And uh, so I, I, I was nervous. These were all people I'd known for years and all. So I was sitting there in the pew, and I said, you know, I'll just ask God. Not that I believe in God. I'll ask God. God, I'm in charge of the wedding. You know. What should I do? And just like with Fred, words came into my mind very clearly. I, don't, I made them up, I guess, but they said, sit down and shut up. <laughs> so, if I need you, I'll let you know. <laughs> well, uh, they, those are useful assumptions. Um, and uh, so now, um, I've got a little more time. Um, now I get to go into uh, some, oh, oh, there's one more. Yeah, I got two more things. I have some technical stuff I'm hoping to get to, but we, we may or may not get there. Um, so uh, telling the truth, this is the other thing I want to get into. Um, my mother said to me once, Harry, you, you don't lie to us, but you can sure twist things around a lot. Um, my father was quite righteous about me lying. And uh, I got spanked a few times, usually for lying. A typical lying event was, I didn't set the fire in the attic. <laughs> My sister said, you did set the fire in the attic. I saw you do it. My father said, I believe her, not you, you know. <laughs> anyway, he was pretty big on not lying. But um, uh, it, I do my best. Anyway, along the line, and here's a story time. Um, after I went to Est, I used to go to seminars. They had seminars. And one time they announced that Buckminster Fuller was going to be speaking at an Est seminar and, uh, in Symphony Space, a little theater up in, in uh, 96th Street. And uh, so I went. And the reason he was speaking was his nephew, or great-nephew, Buckminster Fuller was in his 80s by then, uh, was, had gone to Est and got Buckminster Fuller to come in and speak. So there were maybe... 500 is in the audience, and he's up on the stage, and his nephew's there, and they're having conversations. And Buckminster Fuller said, I want to give you guys something to try. He said, I'm not saying it'll work for you. I'm not saying it's a good thing to do. I just want to tell you I did it, and it worked for me. So here it is. He said, when I was about 26 or 28, he said, I decided that life was worthless. I wasn't getting anywhere, doing anything. I decided it was time to go time to die. He said, at that point, it entered in my mind, I have no right to remove myself from this universe. I didn't put me here. I don't have the right to take me out. Something else put me here. Here I am. I'll just use what I have to help. He said, that's what I've been doing since then. And that's where all the stuff I've done came from. It was just, I decided I would do what I could to make this a better world. 
He said, now, along the line, I got the idea that maybe it was better to tell the truth than to lie. So I decided never to lie to anyone about anything. He said, I can assure you, this has caused some problems. He said, but that's what I've done since then. I suggest you consider doing that. Never lie to anyone about anything. I'm not saying it'll work. And he said, and don't get righteous about it. It's not because you're going to be better than them or that you're honoring some tradition. No, it's just a, a rule of thumb to see if it makes your life any different or better. He said, try it. If you like it, do it. If it doesn't work for you, don't do it. He said, I tried it, and I liked it. So a guy about three rows back from me, and he would take questions, said, uh, Dr. Fuller. He said, yes. He said, do you think it's important that nations stop lying to each other, that politicians and presidents and that kind of quit misleading each other? He said, now let me see if I understand your question. He said, are you asking me whether I think it's especially important that these people don't lie to each other, these people at these very high power places. And the guy said, well, yeah, I, I, I guess so. He said, you weren't listening. Let me try this again. He said, it's just as important to tell the truth in this system I'm presenting to you about whether you brushed your teeth this morning as whether you're having an affair when your wife asks you. They're equally important. This isn't about not lying when big issue. This is about not lying, he said. Well, I thought that was fascinating. So I decided to do it. Um, and I did pretty well. <laughs> um, it's been, that was uh, around 81, 82 or so. Um, and I've been to a lot of interesting discussions about it, um, including one with my father, who was in the hospital for the last time and said, son, I told him this story, and he said, son, he said, if I were dying, and I asked you if I was dying, what would you say? I said, dad, if you were dying and you asked me, I'd tell you you were dying. He said, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> he said, I'd rather you told me that I was doing okay, it was going to get better. I said, okay, dad, you know, I'll, I'll do what I can do, you know. But I developed a bunch of corollaries. I'll throw them out for you. My favorite one is, when is it most important to tell the truth? Well, of course, the obvious answer is always right. But when is it most important to tell the truth? And the answer is, about having lied. Does that tighten things up? <laughs> if you blow it and lie, then that kicks in and says, time to tell the truth. Now it's important, you know. Um, and, and the, um, well, another thing is you don't have to say anything. <laughs> that comes up a lot of times. You don't have to go out and, and hurt people by telling them the truth. You know, do you like this dress? I hate that dress. Um, it's a very interesting dress, you know. Um, <laughs> Uh, where'd you get it? You know, um, there are a lot. So you don't have to to um, not, now to mislead is different. Uh, I know you like this dress. Everything you've done makes me think you like this dress. Is that true? <laughs> Difficult. Um, but the the other example that, that I like to think about is a uh, guy comes to your door. You're in Holland during the war and says, "Are you hiding a Jewish girl upstairs in the attic?" Nazi officer asks you. I cannot lie. Yes, she's up there. Go get her. No, I don't think so. 
Uh, anyway, that, that's my little story on lying. I have, I must admit, um, dropped it. Not completely. It was my spiritual path for 20-some years. Uh, but white lies occasionally pop up, and I'm having a hard time um, at work. It, 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 can be, it can be tricky. Um, so I'm no longer quite as righteous about it. Oh, another thing I would explain to people and say, anytime you think you're better than someone else because you tell the truth, you're on the wrong path. You have just lost it. Any benefit you're getting is, uh, is, is, is long gone. Um, okay. I have one more thing, and then I get maybe five minutes to cover the history of the universe. Um, let's see. I may have to do it from memory. Oh, here it is. This went around on email a few weeks ago, and, and it, it got to me. It's a little poem. I guess you call it a poem. <clears throat> I wish you enough sun to keep Maybe someone in the church sent this around, so you may have all seen it. I wish you enough sun to keep your attitude bright. I wish you enough rain to appreciate the sun more. I wish you enough happiness to keep your spirit alive. I wish you enough pain so that the smallest joys in life appear bigger. I wish you enough gain to satisfy your wanting. I wish you enough loss to appreciate all that you possess. I wish you enough hellos to get through the final goodbye. So this was interesting to me. I never thought about enough. I always thought about get the most you can of anything that's good. Maximize any good thing. Maybe not. Get enough. Just get enough. And I never thought about wishing someone pain. Well, guess what? I wish all of you enough bad stuff to appreciate the good stuff. Um, and I wish it for myself. So I, I, that was uh, in there. Okay. Um, <laughs> I'll try and get this real quick. From rocks to life and more. <laughs> um, the earth is, the, the universe that we, the scientists now think that the universe is about 13.8 billion years old. Our earth formed from gases about 4.5 billion years ago. Um, life on the earth appeared, um, microscopic cells about 3.3 billion years ago. Plants, about 1.5 billion years. Notice the gap. 3.3 billion years, first signs of life. 1.5 billion years, plants. Sex came in 1 billion years ago. Major breakthrough. Up until then, there wasn't a lot of evolution going on because there weren't two sources. Um, animals appear, mostly flatworms and jellyfish, 800 million years. First vertebrates, 500 million years. 425 million years ago, Life migrates to dry land. 395 million years ago, insects. Way down the line here, I'll skip over some of the stuff. Well, there's, I can't skip it. Land vertebrates, 325. First mammals, 300 million. Horses, 35 million years ago. Dogs and cats, 25 millions. Horses came in way before. Uh, apes and monkeys, 21 million years. Depart down separate evolutionary paths, 21 million years ago. 
Um, 1.8 million years ago, Homo erectus, first true man in China. 600,000 years ago, Homo sapiens. 600,000 years ago. The Earth is 4.8 billion years ago. Life has been here for 3.3 billion years. Homo sapiens, 600,000. 40,000 years ago, oh, 160,000 control use of fire. 40,000 language. 40,000 years. You've only had language for 40,000 years. Of course, how do they know this? They don't know, for sure. Um, 35 years ago, first musical instruments. Um, 14,000 years ago, fish hooks. I love that one. 14,000 years ago, fish hooks. We, we had the same brain we have now, pretty much. The hardware was the same 600,000 years ago. And it wasn't until 14,000 years ago we came up with fish hooks. It's been moving kind of slow. Uh, but it's moving fast now. And um, uh, I, I have with me the uh, how big is the known universe, how many stars there are. Uh, I can tell you in two sentences. There are rough current. This changed last year. Went up by an order of seven. They think now there are about 170 billion galaxies on that order. They think now there are about 400 billion stars in the Milky Way. Up until recently, they thought there were 100 billion stars in the Milky Way. They now think there are 400 billion stars in the Milky Way on that order. Uh, 170 billion galaxies. Lots of stars. Last thing on that is, latest thing, this was in the, in, uh, last week in the news. Roughly 8.8 billion habitable planets in the Milky Way. In the Milky Way, 8.8 billion planets that are not too hot or too cold for life. Current best estimate. Probably a lot more than that because they're only looking at suns, at stars roughly our size and they think there are a lot of planets around others. So that's a history of the universe. Um, okay. I uh, will skip over everything else. Uh, I was going to explain to you the whole history of computers and uh, Moore's Law, which I think is the most important thing that you should know, but I'm not going to get it today. Um, <clears throat> so I'm ending now with, um, um, there's a quote I've always liked. I looked it up uh, to my utter amazement to discover that, there were, that it was a poem that had another quote I've always liked. Uh, and you may know this poem. It's called To His Coy Mistress by Andrew Marvel. And um, this was around 1760, I think. He was uh, writing a poem to a lady friend who he felt was a little slow to get with the program. Um, and he was encouraging her to move right along. So he starts off, he says, Had we but world enough in time, that's the other quote I loved, had we but world enough in time, this coyness lady were no crime. However, as he points out in this poem, we don't have forever, you know. <laughs> Someday we're going to be bones and ashes, he says, and I don't think we're going to be doing much then. Let's do it now, you know. But the other quote that I liked a lot was, but at my back I always hear time's winged chariot drawing near. And that quote comes to me a lot. Uh, and my, I'll be writing a letter to a friend and I'll add, but at my back I always hear time's winged chariot drawing near. Okay. Um, 
I will mention, I think someday computers will become sentient. We could discuss that separately. Um, and what else? I guess that's pretty much it. The, my final uh, thing, uh, if, if any of you have ever heard my radio show, um, I always end it with the same statement, which I give you now. And that is to encourage you, but especially me, to celebrate most joyously our being here at all. So that, that's it. Um, do we have time for questions, or how far have I gone over? Well, we're way over. Ah! <laughs> and I think about the kids and everything. Okay. Does, does anybody have any really burning Any pressing, burning questions that you can't ask me separately after I get off of? After the coffee conversation, Preston, anything we can? I just want to give you my hand. Yeah. <laughs> where, where were my hallelujahs? <laughs> Way over. Ah. Yeah, sorry, but it absolutely was fascinating, and I, I think we're just going to have to try and have Harry back one day to cover some of these, yeah, some of these other things that. He, yeah, but I have a very short closing words. Uh, this is an excerpt from a book called Orphan Train by Christina Baker Klein. I believe in ghosts. They're the ones who haunt us, the ones who have left us behind. Many times in my life I have felt them around me, observing, witnessing, when no one in the living world knew or cared what happened. Sometimes these spirits have been more real to me than people, more real than God. They fill silence with their weight, dense and warm, like bread dough rising under cloth. The bitterness and alcohol and depression are stripped away from these phantom incarnations and they console and protect me in death as they never did in life. I've come to think that's what heaven is, a place in the memory of others where our best selves live on. The ghosts whisper to me, telling me to go on. Coffee and conversation. Almost had to. <laughs>